0: Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and thank you so much for tuning in to this Thursday edition of the podcast. It is June 29th, 2023, and the weather is again weird in upstate New York, covered in ash and soot from Canada. Thanks, Canada. Appreciate you. Anyway, um, yeah, so... I'm going to finish today talking about some of the stuff I look at when I'm doing a due diligence walk and why I look at certain things. Some of it comes down to regional specifics. If I'm walking a property that I know gets snow, that I know they use rock salt and ice melt on, all that fun stuff, I will look at different things than maybe I look at from a property that is in. The middle of the desert. So, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about grading and lots and grounds and drainage and uh, parking lot and road quality, how intact it is, and all that. We talked a little bit about roofs and gutters and all that fun stuff. Today, I want to get a little bit more granular on the interiors, just to talk a little bit about how we, how I look at. The current condition and what they should be using, maybe more than what they are using today. Because there are certain things when you go into a value add rehab project that go without saying that they're going to update. They may not do all of the kitchen cabinets, they may not do the interior doors, they may not touch the moldings unless they're damaged, obviously. They may not do a lot of electrical, they might do the lighting. To get a better curb appeal, but maybe they're not ready to make the move from a regular socket to whatever. Same thing with switches. Same thing with GFI's. You know, maybe unless the color is like almond or orange or black, seen black, unless the color of the electrical is distasteful,
1: typically they leave it alone. But there's things that get changed, like flooring, carpeting, maybe windows, maybe not. Exterior doors, entry doors. There's a bunch of those things that maybe go overlooked. And because they're overlooked, they're usually overlooked by the prior owners, too. And they're sometimes
0: in need of repair or replacement. So, what I really want to talk about is the reasons why I look for certain things
1: and why the disposition plan for the property is a big part of the recommendations that I make. Like if it's a flip, you don't necessarily need the stuff that's going to last for 10 or 15 years when you're not going to own that property. The road. There are certain things where you won't get as many complaints,
0: you won't get as many issues, you won't get as much maintenance overhead involved because you're going to avoid problems from the outset. Laminate floors come into mind, and I feel like I beat this drum all the time, and yet I still see people using laminate floors in apartments. It's even better when they put it in a kitchen and then there's water in the appliances, water in the door for the refrigerator, ice maker and the refrigerator. First time a tenant pulls it out from the wall, it freaking snaps that little tiny hose off the back, leaks everywhere, ruins the floor. I don't understand why it's difficult to realize that something made out of cardboard is going to have an issue with water. And yet,
1: in 2023, we still see it. So, When you're going in and you're looking to replace floors carpeting anything wearable honestly if you have tile
0: i have issues with tile if it's not a b plus a luxury category of property
1: because it doesn't matter who the tenant is doesn't matter if it's even in a luxury apartment. I have yet to see an apartment complex with grout that's properly maintained. And not
0: just a water leak potential part of the grout, the staining and the look. I like think you walk into a three year old apartment and you're it's been occupied and You look in the bathroom and on the shower wall or on the floor of the bathroom or on the backsplash behind the sink, you see, like, stripes of color where the grout was never maintained and they used a light-colored grout. And you can tell where people got it dirty and it stained permanently because it wasn't sealed. If it was sealed after install, then sealant doesn't last forever. It wears down. So I have issues with grout. I will push them. 100%
1: 100% of the time into using a pre-mixed, pre-sealed, fortified grout that doesn't require maintenance in a dark color. I don't care what brand it is. I don't care what store you buy it from. It needs to be pre-mixed, sealed, fortified from the factory. Yes, it costs a lot more. However, in the grand scheme of the total cost of ownership, it is much cheaper to have a maintenance free grout
0: as opposed to expecting your tenants to clean it or seal it for you if they stay for more than a year. I have similar opinions on granite countertops because I don't care what kind of sealant is used. I don't care what they tell you it is. It's a rock out of the freaking ground. It needs to be sealed, cleaned, and maintained at least every 18 months, but probably every year. If you have a tenant that's long-term with a granite top, you will find stains. Hopefully you don't find cracks and damage, but you will find stains. is great because it's really... Hard to see defects in it. But it's done. It's an early 2010s color that isn't super popular anymore. Everybody's going with lighter colors. Lighter colors mean stains. Quartz is a little better because you don't have to seal quartz. But I mean, if you're on a Formica countertop, you're probably not going to worry about quartz or granite anyway. You're going to replace it with... Another Formica countertop because that's the type of tenant that you're expecting to put in a unit. It doesn't make sense to put comparatively extremely expensive product into a unit where your recapture on the amount of money you spent on your capex is beyond the window of replacement. Right? You don't want to put a anything in that isn't going to be paid for in full with the additional rents and occupancy and curb appeal and all those other things.
1: For longer than maybe five or seven years. I have a really hard time justifying the cost in a C or a B minus or worse of granite or quartz just because I don't see a good payback window there. You can do a lot of things to generate more NOI. Part of it is raising rents. There are limits to what you can charge versus what you
0: have to do to maintain because it is going to add overhead, it is going to add replacement costs, it is going to create issues because when you get a tenant moving into a new apartment and there's a huge brown coffee stain in the middle of this bright white countertop and you can't get it out, are you going to pay $85 a square foot to replace that countertop?
1: or are you just going to comp the tenant 20 bucks a month in rent because they have an ugly stain things to think about i look at all the existing finishes
0: class of property they want it to be what their disposition plan is and make recommendations it goes without saying they're going to want to do the floors i'd say in 80 to 85% of value add projects floors get done if it's a really nice older build out you might get hardwood floors if you get real lucky on a property that used and was built and intended to be a b plus or an a
1: you might get hardwood floors you can refinish which is sweet but most of the time you're going to get some sort of combination
0: of laminate, vinyl, sheet vinyl, LVT, LVP, um, stick down, maybe nasty VCT stuff. It just depends on the property. But almost every time, they're
1: going to want to do floors. So do you need to spend 2 bucks a square foot on product
0: or 5 bucks a square foot on product? Depends on the class of property and what you're going for and what your target tenant is and how long you want it to last. It's the same type of situation when you see carpet. There are certain properties where you're going to change the carpet every time you change tenant. There's other times when you're going to want to just clean the carpet because you're not worrying
1: about roaches and bedbugs and termites and whatever. All that stuff goes into your planning phase, or it should. In 99.7% of cases, you get what you pay for. Whether it hits you immediately or not. Looking at entry doors into units, into
0: common areas, I would say that common area entries on... Oh, crap. Any, any light commercial... Of any kind is probably using a residential door that was never meant to be opened 85 times a day. So I look there for initial signs of failure. If it's a steel door. I look for rust at the bottom. If it's in the snow belt anywhere, right, the rust belt. I look at the bottom for signs that rock salt has started to break down the door. I look at the the door frames. Any door frame that was sold in the last, I don't know, between 1970 and 2010. There's a 99% chance that it's just wood, sometimes primed, finger-jointed trash wood that is soft and spongy and starting to break down. So we look at a little bit more detail than maybe others do. I look for risk management issues, slip and falls, damaged railings, like simple stuff, but there's a lot of detail that gets lost. In the focus of we're going to make this beautiful. Let's do this walk. Like I love going on due diligence walks where the designers there or there's an architect there and they're looking at these properties and they're looking at these rooms. And all they talk about is cool lighting fixtures and stainless appliances and colors of flooring. And there's no, no discussion of any kind unless I'm there. About. What's actually going to hold up to the tenant that's going in this place? Now, normally architects and designers don't go on due diligence walks or pre-construction walks for C properties, so let's, let's qualify that, but the reality is that
1: almost never is there a serious discussion during due diligence about product selection impacting useful life and standing up to the tenants
0: that are going to be in that unit. It's almost always either race to the bottom, stepping over dollars to pick up pennies, cost-based bullcrap,
1: or its aesthetics with no thought whatsoever in the durability or overhead or long-term function of the actual
0: products being used. And it's like neither neither world meets. There's never this come to Jesus moment where both of the halves come together and go, well, it needs to look like this and it needs to have this cost.
1: And then, well, what's that going to mean for my maintenance? What's that going to mean for my long-term CapEx planning? Am I going to be
0: replacing this in three or four years? Or is this something that's going to make it to the next set of rehabs? In seven to ten years. Because I don't want my apartments looking like they're from 1997. Okay. If your apartments look like they're from 1997. That is deferred maintenance. I'm going to keep saying that. Because I think it's going to make somebody really angry. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. The stuff you look at. When you're in these walks. Needs to be more than just.
1: Budgeting. It needs to be more than just aesthetics and curb appeal and increased rents you should be trying to address multiple
0: pieces of the puzzle when you're making these decisions you should be looking at how's this going to increase my risk or reduce my risk how is this going to increase my overhead and operating costs or reduce those how is this going to impact the legal requirements that is being shoved down my throat by the town county city state whatever it may be on a compliance
1: standpoint how is this going to impact the quality of life for my tenants and why would i use you know product a
0: versus product b because of my relationship with vendor XYZ. Because all those things
1: should be in every single decision that you're making when you're starting a project like this. It's not just about the the lowest dollar amount cost budget that you can do, unless you're just going to flip it and you don't give a crap how long
0: it lasts because it's going to be gone and your NOI is going to be spiked after the rehab because you've already got the side effects of the reduced maintenance from having new fixtures and product in there which reduces your maintenance calls preventive maintenance is minimized because everything is new right so you've got a bunch of stuff and and probably your utilities and your water and whatever use goes down because nothing's leaking you don't have you know, electrical issues from failing parts and air conditioners and heat pumps and whatever else that are just drawing electricity more than they should be. So everything looks good for a couple of years until stuff starts failing. And that's where the rubber meets the road for the TCO method is the, the object is that you minimize that for the longest window possible, so you can recapture all the money you spent and just cash flow for a couple of years. The idea
1: that you're making money without selling the property by doing a bottom dollar rehab, the math doesn't work probably 75% of the time. CapEx isn't in your NOI, right? But you do the project. If you have to do another CapEx before the raised rents, have paid off the last capex. You're not gaining ground. You're not adding equity. Like it's a it's a shell game. You need to be very aware of where that goes. You need to look at your rehab plan, your value add plan, your properties. The goal is obviously full occupancy. The goal is obviously
0: keeping people in those units for as long as possible. And the goal should be to pay off those expenditures before you do another expenditure. The lack of free money because of ZERP, zero interest rate, is going to have a ripple effect that's going to last for a long time in real estate because a lot of real estate investors started and worked during the free money 20
1: year period where interest rates were below historical norms. That means that functionally, they've never had any experience with needing to justify the expense of a capital improvement and having it completely paid off and clear,
0: free and clear cash flow for a couple of years after it's complete
1: because they could just get a loan for three percent and do it again and the value of the property because of how
0: commercial is looked at or even residential because of the insane unsustainable increase in housing values caused by inflation after the pandemic the reality of it is that there's no there's no good way for them to go on functioning the way they functioned
1: pre-pandemic. They're going to learn a lot of hard lessons in the next few years as the reality sinks in that they can't do what they were doing before because they're not actually going to make money.
0: Like everybody talks about NOI like it's the secret sauce. It's not really a secret sauce.
1: It is if you know how to grow it in a way that's sustainable and realistic
0: and it uses the real world situation in its calculations, right? Idealists are going to have a very hard time over the next few years as stuff
1: starts to readjust to reality and come back to zero, come back to normal. So, it's going to create a ton of opportunity for value-add investors, it's going to create a ton of opportunity for
0: foreclosures and tax liens and tax deed auctions, for people to swoop in and stabilize a property, do
1: value-add, and make it worth what it should be by managing it correctly. There's a risk management play in using junk, and participating in the race to the bottom. You really do value engineer all the value out, and it comes back to bite you in the butt. And the game you're playing now, if you're looking to flip buildings, is what's the cap rate going to be in two years on that building? Because if you're buying a building now, and it's a
0: 5 cap or a 6 cap, or a complex now, and it's a 5-cap or a 6-cap, we know we're going to see another couple 25 basis point increases in
1: the federal funds rate. Is that building going to be an 8 or a 9-cap when you're ready to sell it? Do you have a plan, if it goes down in value, to unload it after you spend money on a rehab? Are you going to be
0: able to cash flow it when it's done? and? Play that numbers game where you know your capital improvement that you just did is going to pay for itself in five to seven years? Or are you gonna be stuck holding a bag with something that starts to fall apart on, you know, month
1: twenty five when all the warranties are gone and all the workmanship guarantees are gone. How's that go? You need an exit strategy. It needs to be realistic. Nobody knows what's gonna
0: happen in the economy right now. The government is literally sticking their fingers into this pot and sloshing it all around and nobody knows what's going to happen because it's interfering with the market. The 40-year mortgage is a perfect example of that. Housing values would have declined rapidly because the average family couldn't afford a mortgage, a 30-year mortgage on housing values that spiked 40% in two years. They would have had to come back down well now the 40-year mortgage keeps that from being a thing and what you've done is you've now injected capital that wasn't there into the banking system because in the first seven years or first ten years that you own it you're going to have less than seven percent equity in that house so it's all profit it's all interest and profit front-loaded and the average family doesn't live in a house for more than seven to ten years so they're going to leave with almost no equity it's like huh lifetime runners so Where is the industry going to go? Where is the market going to go? I have no idea. There's going to be a ton of opportunity for the people who figure it out. For the people who have the right plan in place and are ready to capitalize on the new reality. Like You can be an idealist all you want. I have nothing against idealism. I think there's a place for it. But you also have to realize how the world actually functions. Because the world is not going to be bent to your idealistic tendencies. It's just not. The world works the way the world works because humans are at their core selfish and they're out for the well being of themselves and their families. And that goes into most of the decisions that happen at a corporate level and a business level because it's a business, not a charity. So you can be as idealistic as you want in your personal life and have the opinions that you want and live however you want in your private life, but that does not mean that the business world is going to change how it works
1: because you wanna see roses and butterflies. So in your due diligence walk, overbuilding
0: in a neighborhood that won't support it, making a house into a B plus or an A in a neighborhood that's been a D, is not gonna work out well for you, idealist.
1: But, but, but,
0: nope. No idealism. Don't care. Don't care. Idealism has no place in the workplace. Like, it's great to have goals. It's great to
1: have, you know, ideas. It's great to have a positive attitude. But all of the positive
0: attitude in the world does not change the reality of how people respond to things. People respond to stimulus in ways that are very predictable. You have to account for that in business. You build your units you build your turns, you do your due diligence walks, you make your assumptions based on the lowest common denominator of the situation that's there. You build things to be resilient, so you're not replacing them constantly. You make your assumptions that because we live in a place where there's snow, people are going to use salt. Not just because your insurance company requires it, so you can fight a slip and fall argument. Not just so, you don't just fix your concrete walkways so you can avoid, you know, trips, and trip hazards. You don't not paint things bright yellow because you won't win in court when that
1: bored guy who decides he needs another check decides to, you know, fall and can't get up so he can sue you. I don't know what else to say about it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want everyone to go out and have a great
0: weekend. Please like and subscribe, comment, share it. Let people know it's there. If you're watching on YouTube, I have no idea why. I have a face made for radio, but I guess thanks for watching. And uh, go do real estate. Make sure that you're attending at least one real estate event a week if you can. If you're in the industry, network with your peers, network with people you've never met see who you can add value to and uh if you don't want to do that and you can't figure out how to do that real estate's probably not going to work out for you either so the july 4th episode i have no idea what i'm going to do but it's next tuesday's episode so wish me luck